Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, My Heart is Clogged, as Advice Needed. So, um, this is not a, the doctor. We have a doctor, but now we're going to learn a little bit from a, a Kabbalistic sense. If your heart is clogged, meaning you're emotionless, or you're, you have emotion, but not the emotion that your mind is trying to create, what can we do? Again, tonight's class is in honor of Pesach ben David, Pesach Katz, whose yarte was yesterday. And his neshama should have an aliyah and go straight in front of the Creator and ask for good for all of his family and for all of us. This, uh, one of the items, the classical items of a Farbrengen, is that you come together, you talk, but also, at, often at times, there's mashke, and I mention that for a reason. At a real farbrengen, where it's heart to heart, and unfortunately, we don't see it so often, but a real farbrengen is where one tells the other what's on their mind, what's truly on their mind, but at the same time, where everyone has the ability to do let the other person off. Like to tell the other person different areas where perhaps some focus and direction is needed. So again, it's a time where everyone can share with the people that they're comfortable with truly what's on their mind. And at the same time, where you can share with others perhaps areas where correction is needed. And I remember myself, I, very few Farbrengans was I, uh, so to say, privy to such, a, such an atmosphere. I think perhaps when you have these bigger Farbrengans, it removes the personal touch. Nonetheless, the bigger Farbrengans are also special. That's why we have L'chaim. What's the, should be limited, but nonetheless, the limited amount of of mashke is there to really relax a person and allows, allow them to be comfortable to share both what's on their mind and accept from others. I remember this one Farbrengan when I was younger, I was about 15, and I went to my teacher's house for Purim, and it made a very big impression where he, like a real educator, he shared with every student, you know, something really, and you could tell he had thought, something powerful about each person. Then he also told each one in their own way something that they can, they can work on. So I often wondered, where does this come from, this idea of bitush? Perhaps letting someone else know what's going on in their mind and, and also kind of deflating them, deflating their ego. Where does it come from? And I don't know the answer. But I do know that in chapter 29, which we're going to start tonight, we're going to learn a answer. Or I, or I believe a perspective in this, where this comes from. We started from chapter 26, 27, 28. We've been talking about two items that no matter how excited you are about life, how excited you are about Judaism, no matter how hard you're going to try to reveal the godly soul within you, there's two things that can stop the service of God. Number one is, and that's what we spoke from chapter 26, 27, 28, sadness, melancholy, depression. If we are sad, if we are down, that is, we could, our godly soul could be revealed, but that's going to stop our service of God. 
The second item is, even if our godly soul is revealed, Timtum Halev. Have any of you ever heard the word Timtum? Dr. Malov, do you know the Timtum with a test? Timtum means to be clogged. Timtum Halev means you have a clogged heart. You could have also Timtum HaMoach. You could also have a clogged brain. But that's not our conversation tonight. Tonight we're going to be focusing on someone that has Timtum HaLev, a clogged heart. And what that means is that their mind is operating perfectly. They can go ahead and delve into the deepest secrets of, of godliness of life. But it does not affect, it's not able to travel down and affect their heart. Naturally, a healthy person, their mind affects their heart. This person has some sort of sickness, so to say, where there's something stopping the passage from his brain to his heart. And such a sickness is a massive deterrent to the service of God. Because what that means effectively is that we are, we are able to study and learn about God, but it doesn't affect us. Our, our heart is still desiring and loving the, let's just call them childish or worldly items that are of, of in reality, non-relevant. So we've taken our mind, we focus as much as we can on godliness, and yet it's not able to come and affect our emotion. Any questions? No. And that is why the title is, My Heart is Clogged. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm focusing on godliness, yet it is not penetrating. Advice needed. What can you tell me? What can you suggest? How can I get around this? <clears throat> Chapter 29, page 124. Page 124, the right-hand column. There is yet an additional aspect that the Bainani must contend with. A Bainani, this is someone who is serving God properly in his thoughts. He is only allowing his mind to have appropriate thoughts in his speech. He is only talking holy speech in his action. He is only doing Torah and mitzvahs. And yet even such a person that his thought, speech, and action are only what's appropriate, they still have to contend with, namely, that occasionally, and for some even frequently, different types of people have different challenges. For some the challenge will be occasionally, for others it's going to be even frequently. They experience a timtum halev, dullness of the heart. Let me give you an example. If there is unfortunately such a sickness where someone approaches fire but they don't experience the heat. Have you heard of such, a, such an issue before? There is such a, such a sickness where you could, ex you could come close to fire but you don't recognize it's dangerous. And, and I've also unfortunately heard of children that they could get cuts and they don't experience the pain. That's a problem. That means that there is, there is something within them that is not operating appropriately. 
timtum halev, when someone has the appropriate thoughts but it's not affecting your emotion, that means there's something that's not working appropriately. Which becomes like a stone. Your heart comes hard like a stone. We learn by paro, it says Hashem made paro's hard like a stone. The heart is still flesh and blood. It's still soft. But a stone, meaning that it's heartless. It doesn't have emotions to it. And the person is unable, try as he might, to open his heart to the service of the heart. Namely prayer. That means the person's heart is rock solid. Meaning he's not allowing anything in. What is the service of the heart? Eizuhi avodesh Zut fila. Fascinating. We, we say that you should serve God with your heart. We learn you should serve God with your heart. How could you serve God with your heart? What, what do we do that is serving God with your heart? The, the Gemara responds and says, What is the service of the heart? Zut fila. This is prayer. Prayer we don't come to pray to talk to God. I apologize, I take that back. Of course, we come to pray to talk to God. But we, all, we come to do a, f- a few things. One of them is to, to purify our connection with Hashem. When we're talking to Hashem, we're also working on our connection with Him. And that is the work of the heart. To love Hashem and fear Hashem. So someone that has a clogged heart, he's not able to serve Hashem in the manner that's needed when he's praying. That's the first issue with someone that has a clogged heart. Again, he's not able to to fulfill the service of the heart. Can you figure out the second challenge that happens with someone that has a clogged heart? What's the second challenge? Well, what do you think is going to be stopping someone in his service of God by having a clogged heart. <clears throat> Throw something out. He's going to want to do other things. He's going to want to do other, other things. Enjoy, enjoy life. Life, the weather and all that. Okay, good. The outside. What else could be happening by having this clogged heart? He may want to enjoy life. But this person is a Bainani. He's someone who is, in his thoughts, speech, and action, only serving God appropriately. So what can he do that is like not so appropriate, but not a sin? We've learned previously that a Benini should go the extra mile and limit even what he's allowed. Even if you're allowed to eat only kosher food. That doesn't mean you need a gorge on every single type of kosher food. Even if you're allowed to go ahead, even if you should sleep, that doesn't mean you should get a... You should sleep for 12 hours. We should, even in the permissible, we need to limit ourselves. And someone that has a heart of stone, it's going to be hard for him to conquer himself to take an extra step. He'll be able to do what he needs, purely what he needs. But to go the extra step and do something beyond what the requirement is, that's going to be a massive challenge for him. Let's see that inside. Also, in addition to the fact that he won't be able to, having this clogged heart, he won't be able to do, to pray appropriately with his heart, also at times he is unable to wage war against the evil impulse, so as to sanctify himself in the things that are permissible. 
because of the heaviness that is in his heart. So in summary, someone that has the heaviness of his heart, it will be hard for him to serve Hashem properly in prayer, and it will be hard for him to go the extra mile and, and limit even the permissible. And let's just see. Note 2. See above chapter 27, where a limited form of... Could someone tell me that word? Abstemiousness. is highly commended. A limited form of holding yourself back from even the permissible is highly commended, and someone with his illness of heart will be challenged to do so. So what is... So I think... Does anyone have any questions on the sickness, we're, on the challenges we're dealing with? Sandra, is the challenge... Is the, so to say, sickness we're dealing with clear? Any questions? Dr. Malov, any questions? So now the Zohar gives us an amazing piece of advice. The Zohar gives us an amazing piece of advice. And, and very few times have I seen such a quote. But now we're going to learn a quote from the Rosh Yeshiva in heaven. Is that exciting, Yishai? I, I don't know many of them. But here I'm going to tell you a quote from the Rosh Yeshiva in heaven. <coughs> And the Rosh Hashiva in heaven, he says, Ki We learn in Deuteronomy that man is like a tree. So sometimes, when you have a challenge in life, you just want to add, so to say, add in the good. But sometimes, adding in the good is not enough. Let me give you an example in, in our scenario of a tree. You want to take a log and have a catch fire. Remember, man is like, the, is like a tree. So we could take an analogy from a tree and apply it back to man. So the Rosh Hashim in heaven, he says, if you have a log that's not catching fire, what are you supposed to do? Add more fire? No. What do you do? You take the wood and you keep on chopping it down. So he says, just like it is by the wood, that you don't go ahead and just add more fire, you need to actually chop up the wood. So too, a, a body, the log, that is not allowing the flame of his soul to catch it, what should you do? Cut it up. Splinter it up. This is, a, I'm not making it up. This is the Rosh Hashiv in heaven. Don't start up with him. Let's read it inside. In this case, the advice given to the Holy Zohar is, as the president of the Heavenly Academy said in Gan Eden, a wooden beam that will not catch fire should be splintered. Don't go ahead and add more fire. You need to cut up the wood. A body into which the light of the soul does not penetrate should be crushed. Metaphorically, I mean, yes, we are not, God forbid, telling you to take a knife and cut up a person. God forbid, we are talking. Com how do you do? Oh, fantastic, fantastic. But before I get there, I just want to, I just want to go over the analogy. You may think that when you're down and about, all you need to do is add in an inspiration. You know, you go, you've gotten involved in some negative energy, so all you need is positive energy. And what we're learning here is that it's not always enough. It's not enough to just take more fire to the wood. Sometimes you need to splinter the wood. Sometimes when we're in a bad situation, it's not enough just to go ahead and come to shul and get the energy. We need to, we need to break 
ourselves up. What does that mean? asks Sarah, a fantastic question. And that's why I gave the analogy of the Fabrankin. It means to deflate your ego. That means sometimes you need a little bitush. Sometimes you need to be a little... Let me see the way they translate it here. Um, we, 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 sometimes a person needs to be crushed. Let me share with you that recently I'm, I, I just got back from two different conferences and at one of the conferences, two educational conferences, the focus of it was how in our generation we're educating children without the ability to fail. Children don't accept failure. I heard of, just, I was repeating this by my Friday night dinner and someone said they have a business and, when, and they had an experience where they told off an employee for something and the next day the employee quit. They couldn't handle being told off. We're educating children that everything is good, 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 only positive, and they don't know how to deal with, deal with failure. And actually, scarily, scary, this person was sharing from a report from a man named Oliver. He was himself a Holocaust ref. He, he was saved by some non-Jews and he was, he was committed to finding out what allowed these non-Jewish, these holy people to save the Jews, the, those that were involved. And one of the things he found out is that all of, the, all of these people that saved Jewish people came from families which were very ethical, very moral, but had been brought up in families that allowed them to grow, allowed them to learn from their mistakes. So it is, it is important for us at times to, to have experienced experience the failure and grow from it. So when you tell someone today, you know, oh, you know we're going to crush someone's spirit, it's, it's certainly something to be very careful of and shouldn't be used lightly. But there are times that it may be appropriate. How does that sound? But when you do so, you do so privately, so it's not to embarrass When you do so, you do so, there's a whole chapter in Torah law how you rebuke somebody. It's a massive chapter. And one of the key rules we learn is that you could only rebuke them if you've cut off your fingernails. Meaning if you're coming, if you're sharp, if you're heated about it, <laughs> then you're not the person to do it. You could only do it if you really love them and you're doing it out of love. So there is time for rebuke. There is... Sandra did ask, I think, a good question. If, if you're going to have a Fabrenga... Yes. ...and you're doing it, there's a lot of people here. So if you, if you do it in public, I mean, that's embarrassing somebody. Right. So that might not be the place to do it. You're asking a very good question, and the answer is, of course, it may not be the place. And you, and you have to decide. Sometimes Farbrangans, and that's why what I mentioned before perhaps is bigger, Farbrangans could be a one-on-one -on -one Farbrangan. Farbrangan is, is getting together and being willing to try and connect with your heart, with your soul. Um, but the, the amount of people is irrelevant. Um, I, I even know oftentimes you have these big Farbrangans. For example, in 770, you could have a thousand people there. But you'll see that one or two people, three people are sitting together and having their own farbrengen within this larger gathering. So correct, to repeat, we should never be embarrassing someone. And if this is something that may embarrass them, then certainly it should be a one-on-one -on -one conversation.
100%. But to get back to what we're going to talk about here, we're going to actually talk about you embarrassing yourself. I want to be clear. In the Tanya, we are not at all going to be directing Liz to scream at Sandra. That is not going to be our... We will be telling Liz to scream at Liz and Sandra to scream at Sandra and Schneer to scream at Schneer. We will not be... And you, we all are going to learn. We have good reason we should all scream at ourselves when needed and if needed. Because previously we learned... Yeah. Any questions? I see I threw some people off. Okay. No. There will be a good reason to come back next week to... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandra, I, I feel like there's a question brewing. No, I'm just thinking of this situation in classrooms. Teaching graduate students and expecting them to answer when you call on them is part of mm-hmm. having them learn to articulate publicly they're about to go into professional life. And I called on this one woman and I asked a follow-up question after my first question. She said, you're picking up. Don't do that. And uh, I was telling a friend of mine, who's also an attorney, and we both had a good laugh. You could just see us saying that in class at law school and having the professor say, you're out of here. I mean, it, it was just so strange, but there's like a whole generation Correct. who have not had any feedback and challenge Correct. at all. And it wasn't as if it was a hard question. It was a stupid question about punctuation. I mean, it was a real stupid question. But sometimes that's where people are and um, not stupid. It was not an advanced question. It should have just come out. Got it. I love the answer. Got it. Oh, well, I appreciate amazing. you pointing that out. Amazing to me. But in that kind of, so there are situations, though, where, you know, it was public, but she was incapable of handling Yes, that's a good point. And before Yom Kippur, the truth is, because we've had such conversations before, I think we should have a, a class on embarrassment, forgiveness, etc. It's a fascinating topic. Um, and I appreciate you bringing that up. It's coming up soon. And I'm not far from now. So now the question is, now the question is, I know who the log is. I know who the wood is. The wood is the body. The question is, what is the soul? What is the fire? What, and you can't just say the soul because it's kind of poetic. What, what, part, like, what part of the soul? I need some details here. When you say the soul is not illuminating the body, what does that mean? So we're going to learn, in our context, the light of the soul is the intellect. When the head of the, the yeshiva in Gan Eden said that if your body is not allowing the soul to illuminate, you should splinter it. What did he mean by the soul's, is the soul illuminating? He meant your understanding. If when you're trying, if when you're focusing on something holy, it is not penetrating your heart to create an emotion, then you need to splinter yourself. Let's see that inside. The reference to the light of the soul is that the light of the soul and of the intellect. The light of the soul is the intellect, does not illuminate to such an extent 
as to prevail over the coarseness of the body. That means you're thinking properly, like we gave you the analogy before, your thinking is fantastic, but it is not penetrating the heart. Is, is, there such a, is there such a sickness? Is there such a term for a medical sickness where a person's thoughts don't affect the emotions? Interesting. Wow. They say it's like one out of ten people have that. Uh-oh, just have us here. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a conscience like, they, they call oh, it. Oh, we have nine. It's like their conscience like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's a pretty high number. Right? For although he, con- he understands and contemplates in his mind on the greatness of God, you sat down and you're having a real contemplation. You're really working to understand. This is not apprehended and implanted in his mind to a degree that would enable him to prevail over the coarseness of the heart because of the nature of this coarseness and crassness. That means the coarseness and crassness of the heart is so great that your thoughts are not, your thoughts are not penetrating. So, Rabbi, the analogy that you used before about uh, not catching fire. Yeah. It's not like, my analogy. This is the Rosh Hashiva in, in, in Gan Eden. So, it, it, so, it reminds me of like when I bought, when I came here, the first time I bought uh, a cord of wood, guy told me it was seasoned for a year. It burned great. Threw it in the fireplace, it didn't burn. Green. It was green, right. So, like, if you splinter that wood, still is going to have trouble. It has to be seasoned. So is there a, an aspect to that where it has to be seasoned before you can like fully illuminate or catch fire? Interesting. Do, do you need to do something to allow your body to catch fire? Yeah, I mean, so like, you know, I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be stacked up for a year, but... If, I, if I'm understanding correctly, both the question and, and the Tanya, the body is naturally seasoned for the soul. That's what Hashem made us. And there's something wrong with the body if the soul is not able to penetrate. So I think the seasoning is something that we're created with. Now here, we're going to learn something unbelievable. You know, People think that there's dark and light. But the truth is, we're going to learn later, there's only light. Lack of light creates dark. This is a big controversy in even the, within the Torah itself. Is Because it appears in the reading of the simple text, in the days of creation, it appears Hashem created darkness and light. But the truth is, we're going to learn, Hashem created light and the lack of light. But Hashem didn't create darkness. Which means to say that evil and negativity are not a real existence, they're a lack of existence. Very powerful. Again, Hashem created holiness and a lack of holiness. 
And Hashem created a lack of holiness for a reason, as we've discussed previously, we're going to discuss again in chapter 29. But the reality of the lack of holiness, the reality of darkness, is, is a reality of not having holiness there. Take the example of darkness and light. A tiny bit of light illuminates so much darkness because darkness is a non-reality. It's, it's an absence of light. It's not created? Tell me the question. What? You can't bring me darkness. You could remove light and, and darkness will be there. You can't buy darkness. It's not a thing. Negative evil, ra, is not a thing. It's a lack of holiness there. And what's so powerful about this is that if someone, and let's take our our exa our example, your heart is clogged with what, with with evil, but evil is not a thing. So all you need to do is crush the evil and it will be gone. Let me say that again. We're learning here, the Rosh Hashiva in Gan Eden said, if your body is not catching fire, crush it. So Sandra says, are you talking about taking a knife and cutting him? God forbid. The Rosh Hashiva is saying, you need to crush the evil which is right now inside of you. And because it's nothing, it will pop. Let a little light in. Let a little light in, and the darkness is going to go. Crush, pop the balloon of the evil, and it's going to disappear. Because it's not a thing, you just need to crush it. You don't need to bring a garbage truck and make it move away. You just need to crush it, and it's gone. Let's see the words inside. The words are always holier than mine, and so perhaps that will help us clarify. The cause. We're on the right-hand side, page 126, where it says in little words, Ten Adar One. The cause. What is the cause? That your heart is coarse, being the arrogance of the Klippa. The Klippa is being arrogant, which exalts itself above the light of the holiness of the Divine Soul. Meaning, Naturally, the klipa has no place here. There's a candle here. What's klipa? Klipa is, let's just say in general terms, evil. Klipa literally means a shell. It's a shell covering anything holy. So klipa, this shell, is trying to cover that light. But as we just said here, it's, in, in the words, we, it's exalting itself. It's, it's making itself bigger than it is. Your soul is on fire. The fire is there. So what happened to the fire? The klipa is covering the fire. But the klipa is, ob the klipa is obscuring and darkening the light thereof. But because the klipa is really not a reality, it's, it's jumping ahead saying, look at me, this big shot, but it's really not a big shot. So what do you need to do? Therefore, one must crush it and cast it down to the ground. 
how do you how do you crush the klipa? That is to say, by setting aside appointed times for humbling oneself and considering oneself despicable and contemptible. Very strong words. Very strong. You want to crush the klipa inside of you, you need to crush yourself. How? Through thinking that you're despicable and contemptible. And why should this help? As David HaMalach says in the Tehillim, as is written, Beruach nishbara, v'leiv nishbaruach nishbara. A broken heart is a broken spirit. A broken heart breaks the spirit of the klipa, of the evil. David HaMalach is telling us this clearly. Again, you want to break the big shot of the evil that's inside of you. What do you need to do? You need to have a broken heart. Before we continue, I want to talk about Pesach for a second. At Pesach, we only eat matzah. During the year, we eat chametz. And does anyone have a spare piece of paper? There's quite a cool... Anyone have a spare piece of paper? You've probably seen this before, the difference between chametz and matzah. But I'm sure you've seen it, but I'd love to show it to you again. If you'd like, you could drink it now. Depends on if you want to pay attention. I'm not opening it up. I'll get right back to you. This will work. Isn't Clippa also referring to a person who's not very nice? It seems to be, I remember my mother calling, describing someone as a Clippa. <laughs> no, clipa just means something bad. So yeah. if, if your mother calls someone clipa, she was saying they're bad. So, yes. What is the difference between chametz and matzah? I'm going to make it easier, actually. Cham ch Sorry. <laughs> chametz, I apologize, is spelled ches... Mem Tzadik. Matzah is spelled Mem Tzadik Hey. So let's see, what are the similar letters? You have Mem, mem in both of them and Tzadik in both of them. The difference between Chametz and Matzah is a Hey and a Ches. Does that make sense to you, Shai? The difference between bread and this thin matzah cracker is a ches and a hay. What's the difference? Matzah is a broken letter. Broken spirit. Chametz is a haughty person. Physically, chametz, bread, is inflated. Matzah is deflated. The difference between Pesach is all about humility. Matzah is small, it's humble. One of the reasons we only eat matzah on Pesach is to bring out that humility within us. So if we're going to be inflated, if the evil in us will be inflated, we need to break it up. And we break it up through thinking that we are despicable and contemptible. Isn't this a characteristic especially of youth? 
teenagers and people in their 20s, maybe as I get older, it seems like I can see it better. <laughs> to think that they're despicable and contemptible? No. That, um, <laughs> they've got this ego and, uh, what's the term? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they need to be more humble, have more uh, situations in which they are humble. I can't tell you, I haven't learned specifically about ages, but if, if that's your life experience, I, I trust it. <laughs> you know, I, I well, it's part of becoming independent, maybe to learn self-confidence. Um, so I would think they don't want to take advice from parents. You should have one big question. What do you think the big question is, Shmuel, now? No, we do. <laughs> How do you repent? The question is, why are you breaking me? Break the klipa. We've learned your heart is dull. Why is it dull? Because the klipa is covering it. So he said, what should you do? Break yourself. That's not fair. I'm getting in trouble because of somebody else. Who's the somebody else? <laughs> I am getting in trouble because of the evil that's attaching itself to me. You're going to come and crush me because someone else needs to be crushed, so crush me with it. The evil needs to be crushed, so you're going to crush me with it. That's not fair. It's not nice. And here we learn a famous quote. And I, we've, uh, I've said famous a few times, but this is also another famous quote. A famous quote because there's a common question, what is a person? Are you your godly soul or your animalistic soul? And tonight we're going to learn, like it or not, this is what we're going to learn. This is the Sitra Achara, which is the very man himself in Bainanim Intermediaries. A Bainani, he is Klipa and Sitra Achara. Very strong words. If I were to have to, if any one of us were to have to say what a Bainani is, you are Tzadikim, so I'll talk about myself. What I am, I'll say, I am Klipa and Sitra Now I want to be careful, I want to review. Klipa doesn't, for us to say Klipa is bad is, is incorrect, and I apologize for using that notion. I've used it because it's easier in our context. But we've, we've previously learned in, chapter, in the first ten chapters that there are some shells that are good shells. There's something called klipas noga. There's this intermediary shell that you could use for good, you could use for bad. Your animalistic soul is not bad. In, in Judaism, it's, I want to be very clear, as Jews we believe that a person, the entire person, is pure and holy. There is not one part of a person that is impure. Very important. There are some religions that say there are parts of people and there are actions that a human being does that are impure, that are bad. As Jews, we believe that the entire person and everything that is, uh, and, and every part of him is holy and can be used for holiness. So we are not saying that you have an animalistic soul that is bad. It's an animalistic soul. Animals are not bad. They can be good and they can be bad. What we're, what we're saying is that there's, that, there's an, that there's an ox that's in you. It could gore and kill somebody, or it could go ahead and 
it could plow your field and allow you to now have the best produce in town. So who are you if you're a Bainini like my... Oh, sorry, I'm not a Bainini. In the Bainini of Tanya, in Tanya we, we learn, uh, I would be a rush in this context, right? A, a Bainini was saying some of them never sinned in thought, speech, and action. But let's talk about the Bainini. The Bainini, he is his animalistic soul. He still has desires. The Bainini still has urges. But he controls them. So who is the Bainini? This, this is the Sitrachal, which is the very man himself in Bainanim. So now, let's review. If someone has a clogged heart, what should he do? The, the Rosh Shiva and Ganeidin said he needs to crush his body. How do you crush your body? By thinking you're despicable, despicable and contemptible. Why? Because the Bainani is the animalistic soul. We're going to discuss at great length Next, next week, what this means. What do you mean the Bainani is the animalistic soul? It's quite a big conversation that we need to have. Let's, let's just not start blaming people. Oh, you're, you're, you're an animal. You're, you know? Are there any questions? And I think with this we're going to conclude. So let me recap one more time. We'll take questions and conclude. Recap is, your, clog may, your heart may be clogged. If it's, if it's clogged, it may... Number one, it may, number one, stop you from serving God properly in prayer, which is the service of the heart. And second of all, you're going to be lacking excitement, which will not allow you to control yourself, even in permissible items. What should you do? Comes the Rosh Hashivah in Gan Eden and says, just like a person is compared to a tree of the field. Just like a tree. If it's not catching fire, you don't go ahead and add more fire, you, you splinter the wood. So to a human, so to a, a person, if his body is not allowing the intellect to come within him, don't go ahead and add more intellect and more intellect. Those people you spoke about, that you don't just tell them to think more and more and that's going to affect the heart. You need to do something. You need action. So the Rosh Hashiva says, splint, in, in, in Ganeidin says, splinter the body. Why? Because the body is the animalistic soul. The animalistic soul has this, has this klipa that has raised itself in arrogance high. You need to crush it. By crushing it, you will remove the klipa, you will remove the arrogance. Your heart will be ready now back to accept what the intellect is trying to give it. The, the, the love and, and fear of God. Are there any questions? Yes. Can we schedule a time to actually go over the, the crushing, the breaking down of a person? You're asking, as a as a as Tzvi, can you set times within yourself? No. Can we, as a group, like with you as a leader, right, schedule a week way out in the future, perhaps, where we talk about? You said there was a whole section of. Right? Ah, ah, okay, okay. Now I got it. I thought you wanted me to come scream at everybody. That's not so my. That's not so up my alley. How, that, how that's done? In this chapter, I believe we're going to answer that. In the, it, it, I'll just tell you, this is one of the biggest chapters we've learned so far. It's quite a big chapter. It's extensive, and I think I believe we'll, we'll answer most of your questions. But what I did offer, and I personally think would be a good opportunity, is before Yom Kippur, we know we need to forgive everyone, and. Uh, that's really a big, a big chapter within itself. What it means to um, forgive. Who should be forgiven? 
maybe some people shouldn't be, and there are there are some some rules uh, how we forgive, and uh, if we need to offer rebuke, how do we offer rebuke, etc. That's a that's a discussion I'd like to have for Yom Kippur. But regarding the conversation of how we rebuke ourselves, so to say, um, I believe we'll answer that within chapter 29. Any other questions? Thank you very much, everyone. It's been another great class. It's good to be back.